Welcome to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business, presented by FL Montreal. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Mike Newton of FL Montreal. Hey, Mike. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Nice for you to be back. And um, this evening, we're going to talk about uh, investing and wealth management with Sam Yunus from Altium Wealth Architecture and an independent firm, uh, Mike, um, with, a, with a guy who's pretty ambitious. Yeah, I've known Sam for, uh, it's got to be 20 years now, and uh, you know I'm a few years older than him, so I've kind of watched his career progress, and I say he's done very well for himself, uh, but also uh, equally important is, is the integrity and the class that he brings to things. So it's going to be an interesting show. So an independent perspective to, to wealth management, and later in the program, we'll talk about people culture with Alita Eid, HR manager at FL, um, about uh, keeping that people culture even as your business grows through mergers, acquisitions, and any type of change management, basically. So Alita joins us on that later in the program. But first, as usual, news and notes. And uh, Mike, our ongoing theme, of course, is uh, COVID resiliency, and we, we like to, to share some wisdom as best we can about um, you know whatever we read on the subject and uh, Harvard Business Review this um, this framework for leaders during difficult times um, how they can face difficult difficult decisions so it provides a more technical framework I guess uh, so morals ethics and responsibilities what are your thoughts on how Harvard lays out uh, the responsibilities for for managers in these times. Well, I think what's happening is, you know, when things are drumming along nicely, we have a tendency to just fall into a rhythm. We don't, uh, there's no introspection. There is no questioning of our own morals and values and ethics. And I think when we hit difficult times, we have to start, you know, looking at what we've been doing and how we want to be remembered and how we want to run our organizations. And, you know, the HBR review um, article basically, you know, starts in uh, with discussions on the whole context of, uh, you know, the specific morals, ethics, the responsibilities you see as uh, as a leader and, and and where you place yourself in those organizations and you know then it's, it's interesting because uh, one of the areas that they they go into is you know it's a little bit of a legacy discussion discussion at the end of the exercise and that is really what do you want to be seen as as a leader and what would you want to be remembered for and you know again when when we're chugging along and everything's good we can go anywhere from profit to uh, you know uh, volume to a whole bunch of things but when things get rough I think uh, we start to look at uh, the immeasurables, which could be culture, it could be ethics, it could be how you hold up under pressure. And, uh, you know, one of these things uh, really, uh, you know, really is taking a look at, at what you do. They talk about, you know, looking at a decision, take, take, take some time, look at what your morals and values are, and then just look back at a recent decision that you have made and see how that fits into context with the decision you made based on what your morals are. Do the same thing as you're looking to make your next decision and, and try and make sure that all the time that, you know, you, you don't lose sight of, of who you are and who you want to be uh, as a leader, as the organization, uh, ensuring that at the end of uh, the process that your decisions uh, and your actions are really congruous to, uh, to where your value set is. It's really, um, it, it's really a, a, a tense time for for all managers, and there's the sense that um, that any any move could be really a, a fatal move in some cases. How, what would be your advice in terms of just dealing with the pressure day to day, and um, and how to have a system that makes sure um, you're making the right decisions at each step? 
Well, it's difficult. We've lived in a world for a long time now that says, you know, perfection is the answer. And if you can't be perfect, then there's something wrong with the way you're either executing or leading. And the reality is, you know, for, for centuries, and you know, we've always talked about, you know, making mistakes as your best course of action to learn from. Um, you know, we live in a very proud society where a lot of people, when they make a mistake, are going to hide it or cover it up. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is huge, especially while you're trying to maintain a culture and an environment with um, the other managers or with your team is admit when you've made a mistake. Now, what do you do? How do you fix it uh, and, and move forward? And, you know, the whole exercise is, exercise is you're trying to provide a healthy example, you know, trying to be a model. Our role uh, and, you know, unfortunately, I think you look south at the political race right now, and, and I don't think you want to use the role models, and, and we see the implications of, of what's going on. I heard something the other day that, you know, said that if Donald Trump had worn a mask with either MATA or an American flag on it, he'd likely be 10 points up in the votes right now. And, you know, it's it's it, it only goes to show you that that influence has such a large, large role in the people around us. And, you know, when you make a mistake, admit you made a mistake and move on. Be, you know, let, you know the, to lose, use the term, be a man about it, to own up to it and learn from it. And I think sometimes that's the hardest thing for leaders to admit. One thing that I thought was interesting that they do mention on the um, the qualitative side is to to clarify your, your worldview for your team. Um, why why is that so important in these times? Well, you know, the worldview falls back in, in the way I interpret it, falls back into your morals and your values. And is that, you know, play in line with whether that is either uh, the environment uh, or uh, responsible leadership or fiscal responsibility or giving back to the community. You know, the decisions that you make and the, and the roles that you play within your organization should, uh, you know, obviously fit well, not only in your business, but in the world around you. And I think that's the harder part right now. I mean, we could take this topic and run for hours on the effects of this on, uh, on hiring and recruitment and, you know, trying to align your, your goals uh, uh, along with what that of you know future employees looks like but we we don't have enough time for that um, but you know it, it's clearly a huge model right now I mean a few weeks ago we talked about you know the measurement of success well this falls into the measurement of success is success based purely on what that bottom line is or is that measurement of success you know your carbon footprint or your ability to help people in times of need and I think this is where you have to take a step back and, and reassess and reevaluate who you are and and the message you want to send uh, you know not only in the way you act, but the way you want your organization to act. HBR offers uh, some interesting tips for leaders that are uh, sort of uh, uh, feeling the, the burden. And um, one one in terms of self-care, which I think is interesting as we talk more about mental health in the workplace, is gratitude and appreciation. And um, Mike, I'm seeing, you know, casually as I read studies here and there, um, the benefits of gratitude just keep coming up. It's just good good neuroscience to be grateful. It is. I mean, very, very few organizations, you know, run by only one person. And, and, and you know, there's part of this, you know, to me is is one of the basic flaws or underlying problems with our society. We have a hard time saying thank you. We have a hard time appreciating when somebody does something for us. You know, you hold the door open for somebody, you get a look like what? I'm not capable of opening the door myself or, you know, and, 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 we need to learn to accept and appreciate the fact that people do things for us and give them, you know, the kudos and the thanks when they actually do them. 
you know, there's there, there's an awful lot of our society that needs some rethinking at the end of the day, and that goes uh, anywhere to uh, our organization to you know walking up and down the streets of Montreal. Well, thank you, and I'm very grateful to be here with you tonight, Mike, to having having these chats uh, after 11 seasons. And this evening, we're going to talk about um, something that's actually pretty rare: an independent wealth investment firm. So Sam Yunus is here, the founder and president of Altium Wealth Architecture. Sam, welcome to today's entrepreneur. Thank you, Dan. Nice to meet you. Hi, Mike. How are you? Hey, Sam. So our first question is the easiest one, of course. What is Altium? Thank you. Altium is a, it's an independent investment firm. Uh, we offer investment management services and family office services. So the, the more known term is a multi-family office. So we're totally independent. We deal with private families across Quebec and Canada, uh, uh, but many families, uh, therefore multi-family office which in itself is a, is a fairly new business model in Quebec and Canada, simply because wealth is newer than, uh, than, than in Europe. Yeah, the family office concept, I think, uh, has existed for a long time, but it's only been to a very exclusive elite group of families that uh, would have had their own family office, which basically runs the gamut of services. Uh, and, you know, you can go anywhere from uh, providing investment services to tax services to estate. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a wide range. So it was really modeled off, uh, off of uh, some of the larger, uh, larger wealthier families uh, across the country and has now become a quite, you know, quite a popular environment. Uh, though I think, Sam, you know, one of the things that, that's interesting about yours is, is this consistent approach to trying to stay independent through all of it. We see a lot of the family offices having talked into insurance companies or tied into investment companies or you know we see them in the, the professional firms as well and I think a lot of them lack uh, what what you do bring to the table so maybe talk a little bit about you know how you how you manage to keep that independence and 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 what services you're offering in that so I'll give you you know I'll give you a brief idea of, uh, of uh, uh, my experience I've been in private wealth for for 20 years approximately I've known Mike for for an equal amount of time uh, worked at a local bank worked at a global bank I was executive director up to uh, 2013 when I started Altium uh, and initially I started Altium in partnership with uh, a local accounting firm uh, but two years later, did a friendly management buyout uh, in order to be able to have all the business flexibility needed, uh, full objectivity, uh, and be able to, you know, to offer all the families that we, we work with, uh, whatever they, they need is without being uh, limited by compliance reasons. For example, we're legislated by, you know, the, uh, the securities legislator, an accounting firm is, is legislated by the uh, accounting norms. Trying to mix both is, uh, is really not simple. Uh, and therefore, coming back to your question, Mike, I firmly believe in objectivity. Uh, being, you could be independent and not objective. Uh, you could be objective and not independent. Uh, but in our case, we don't manufacture a solution. There's no Altium product to be sold. Uh, we give access to our families to whatever best-in-class strategy or professional that is available uh, across the country. Uh, we work with many families and therefore are not dependent on one client or one family uh, alone and 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 we truly believe that that objectivity is a is a key to to a successful approach over over the long term 
You also, I mean, yes, you work with a number of families, but I think you're very uh, particular and you have uh, certain restrictions or limitations uh, in terms of who you are going to take. Maybe give us a little bit of an insight in terms of what is that perfect uh, opportunity for you. So Altium works with private clients and private families. Uh, today, we work with roughly 90 families across Quebec, New Brunswick, Ontario, and, and, and BC. Uh, our target client tends to be an entrepreneur, uh, une famille en affaires, a family that, that is or was in business, sold, uh, and is looking for the right arm to, to help them protect their wealth over time uh, and, and grow their wealth in, in many cases. And protecting and growing wealth is not an easy task. Wealth is more than dollars. Uh, and our business model is based on a limited number of families. Typically, our clients have between 15 to $200 million uh, of total financial wealth. And the smallest team uh, possible, uh, extremely, extremely knowledgeable uh, that you know, is extremely well treated. I think that everything starts with your team members. Culture, we're gonna talk about it, I assume. Culture values is key, is critical. Uh, so a great team to, to take care of our clients and our ecosystem uh, of professionals. So why, if I was if I was looking to either change investment advisors or, you know, I won the lotto or I sold my business, um, you know, why would I choose Altium over, say, some of the big boys, uh, Scotia and RBC, uh, that have, you know, the uh, the reputation and have what most people, you know, deem to be a more secure environment? What would what would what would attract me to an to an organization like Altium? Our craft is to deal with a larger private complex wealth. So you have a lot of good offerings uh, out there, but the financial world for, for many families uh, is, is complex, is complicated. And that's one of the reasons why I started Altium uh, seven years ago already. It's complicated. You have banks, you have brokers, you have private wealth divisions, you have branches, you have independent uh, insurance firms, uh, you have uh, independent portfolio managers, so all that for, for, you know, for an entrepreneur is often complex and they look for, for a firm, a right arm to help them uh, navigate uh, across all this, find best in class solutions and not only handle the money component. When we talk about family office services, every family is different. Uh, every generation within a family is different. And every individual within a generation is different. And all that evolves uh, over time. So we, we do the job. Our craft is larger private complex wealth. Our target client uh, usually have, you know, over 40, 50 million dollars, as I said before. And we bring an institutional approach to private wealth, meaning that we cover all asset classes. It takes more than stocks and bonds to, to protect, preserve and grow, grow wealth over time. And there's no reason why a wealthy private family and client could not be invested like large pension funds uh, or large university uh, endowments. So those are some some of the reasons I would say I would end on saying that our team, uh, it might be cliche, but our team is key. Uh, and, uh, and, and the quality of our ecosystem. Uh, we're not accountants, we're not tax experts, we're not lawyers, uh, we're not insurance experts, but 
managing large complex wealth is our craft and we you know we we accompany our clients over time uh throughout all this with the altium team and our network our ecosystem of best-in-class people that share common values sam we were talking about um the challenges of being independent in in your business and um you know having met a lot of people in in related fields and uh, having worked alongside the banking system there's a lot of advantages that go to to that sort of um to that sort of operation you have a lot of the a lot of the operations a lot of the marketing a lot of the software already good to go um you had to create a lot of that, a lot of that yourself tell me about that experience it's uh indeed then it's not obvious to be independent in the financial industry at least to start in it uh, there are high barriers to entry you need uh, you need you know first all the accreditation uh, and you need uh, the systems uh, the operations uh, all the IT all the technology and the scale clients assets suppliers especially with with our business model considering that we we don't manufacture investment solutions we have access to best in class uh money managers across all asset classes and we've negotiated institutional access everywhere in order to negotiate institutional access and operational efficiency you need scale so putting it all together was uh quite a fantastic journey uh we are you know we're we're blessed to be where we are today with uh the team the clients the platform the business but it's not obvious to start an independence business and maintain it uh, in in such an industry. I think that you have to be highly focused uh, and not to try to be everything for everybody and always focus on being effective and efficient uh, uh, as a group. So let's take a little trip down memory lane here, Sam, is to, you know, we talk about the platform, you talk about setting things up. I mean, you and I met a little over 20 years ago, you were with a very large institution at the time decided, uh, I don't know, maybe around 2013, 14, five, six, seven years ago that you wanted to to build and, and start your own investment firm. Uh, you and I met for lunch one day and had, a, and had a conversation about starting your own now or joining a larger organization and building something from an existing platform. Uh, you decided to go the second route. Uh, that's, I showed the difference in our age between us. You see, after 10 years more in, in business and with more partners, I would have opted to go it alone. But hey, that's that's just me. You uh, So you, you moved into a very large organization, another large accounting firm, very popular, very successful, very reputable firm, uh, and started to build this wealth management business. Give us a little bit of that, you know, and, and, and tie that into how we started this whole session earlier on, which is culture and ethics and values and... You you are taking us uh, back in time, and uh, and and I do recall your uh, you know your advice, Matt, uh, Mike, before before starting Altium to, you know, do it alone from the get go, uh, doing it with with a big organization uh, with uh, you know an accounting firm, a local accounting firm, uh, was a great experience, uh, but but it led after two years to a buyout and being totally independent. I think that. That independence, that total objectivity, not limiting your business model because of any partnership, being able to truly serve your quality clients as that they deserve is key. Uh, and, and also in French, they say être maître chez soi uh, is, is something uh, important. So, so it was 
a good experience. It was a hard experience at times, mm -hmm. uh, but you know it. You helped me with the buyout. Yeah. Uh, you've been part of the Altium story since before it started, since you know our brainstorming sessions. That's right. So uh, I will, cor I will correct. <laughs> I will correct. You didn't carve out a fuller line down, so it, it wasn't us that no, you left. No, no, it, it wasn't you. But, uh, but and it's been and it's been you know it's been it's been a great successful story since i believe in quality growth I, I believe that proper growth have a rhythm uh it's not all about dollars uh it's about a purpose and it's about a quality and sustainable growth without cutting corners you know people have asked me over the years why i refer people to you and and, and i think it's it's one of the reasons why you ended up leaving the, the larger organization is you had a very clear set of morals and ethics and the way you wanted to do business and the environment with which you wanted to do it and i've always told people that i found you one of the you know one of the one of the few people over the years that i can rely on in terms of integrity and i think part of the move to doing your own thing as much as it was about being your own boss was also about ensuring that you could provide to the marketplace the morals and the values that that you have lived with and which you want wanted to pass on and and thank you mike and and you know it means it means a lot to me and talking about values you know without being cliche but values are not simply something you see on a presentation or top down values are something you live every day and you focus on conversation by conversation meeting by meeting and you build them bottom up and how that's how you build a culture and, and real values and in our case excellence is part of it i learned that you know perfection does not exist it's motion over perfection but it's not a reason not to aim for excellence what we do is a craft objectivity you know, for us being objective in everything we do and thinking about our clients before ourselves is key. Uh, you know, integrity, service, if you talk about a purpose, wanting to take care of somebody else and what we do is, is key, is critical. And, you know, if we talk about hiring, I look for character, I look for competence, but I look for a lot of heart because, you know, any person working with us needs to deeply want to take care and service another individual and family. That, so that plays into your whole cultural environment within the organization, the way you set up, the, set up your teams, the way you uh, expect uh, the people that work with you to serve us a client the exact same way you would. Is any of that scripted? Is that set up? Is that, how do you get them to understand the, the, the moral value side to what you want to do and make sure that when they go out and you can't be there to hear what they say, that they perpetuate your goals and your, your, your vision. How to codify your DNA, how to codify your culture. I don't have an answer for that question. What I know is that we did a full uh, D360 last year, you know, trying to, to strip how we do things and how we think about this and our departments and our functions and the task for every function uh, and, uh, and the process for every task. But throughout all this, you don't wanna become rigid and you wanna remain very agile and continue you know, to, to grow and adapt. So I don't have an answer, but it's a meeting at a time and it's a constant focus on the fact that culture and values are critical uh, in, in any business. Sam, uh, real quick, as the marketing guy, I'd be remiss uh, if I didn't ask you uh, about uh, about the name and and also architecture. I, th I find that interesting that you put that in there. Um, why why architecture and uh, what kinds of marketing challenges have you uh, have you undertaken in this unique business? 
we believe that it takes solid foundations, solid foundations building for the long-term perennity architecture. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's a link. In terms of marketing, we've been, it's a bit shameful, we've been blessed to grow thanks to our clients and their referrals and our network because we've been focused on the business, on creating the machine, on oiling it, and on delivering on making sure that we deliver, delivering our promise. So this year in our seventh year is actually the first year that we're building, you know, and preparing a marketing strategy. Uh, so we're, we haven't been great marketers. Uh, we've been blessed with a nice growth with great clients, with great friends of the firm. Uh, but, you know, now we're starting to just show the firm a little more. Having said that, our approach is niche. We enjoy being low-key. Uh, it's a highly confidential business. So our challenge here is how to, you know, appear a little more with taste while remaining low-key and confidential. So Dan, if you have advices, I'll, I'll happily take them. And coming up, Sam Yunus of uh, Altium Wealth Architecture gives his one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. But first, we talk to our experts. And today, it's HR manager Alida Eid of FL Montreal. Welcome back, Alida. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And Mike, we're going to talk about people culture. And especially as businesses change, there's a lot of more mergers now, acquisitions, and a lot of movement. So how do you keep your people culture similar enough? And uh, how do you stay true to your values? Um, what are your thoughts on that first, Mike? Uh, you know, how, how you've done this many times, how do you create that consistency, even if you might be taking on twice as many employees? Yeah, the whole discussion of due diligence and mergers and acquisitions is, you know, from an HR perspective and a cultural perspective is, is, is really new, uh, you know, in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, traditionally you go talk to your accountant, you talk to your lawyer and it's number crunching and it's legalese and all the rest of it. The one thing that, you know, that, that, that I think, and, and this is where, I, you know, Alita's expertise rolls in is, is really this whole discussion of what do you do during a due diligence and how often does it even come up that we're going to look at people and culture as part of a due diligence process, Alita? Unfortunately, still uh, not often. We don't uh, pay much attention to the pay people component. Uh, for some reason, the reality is uh, during transactions and, uh, and change, uh, we still proceed without much involvement of uh, HR teams, coaches, and change consultants. Um, during due deal reviews and analysis, uh, we're very much concentrated, like you said, Mike, on financial and legal BVs and stuff. Um, and uh, most pe people typically associated with uh, a checklist and uh, what they want to know is, um, do I have to fire anyone? And uh, let me just, you know, make sure I cover uh, any liabilities. So it's um, more seen as HR is still seen more as compliance rather than um, focusing on people. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, the, the, the files that we've worked on together and, you know, we were talking about this earlier is, you know, the first time we went through this, we looked at it as part of a transaction for ourselves. And, you know, we went in looking at it from a compliance perspective, you know, what are the employee files? Who are we getting? What's, what's that type of environment? And we even ourselves didn't really focus on culture and fit and, and, and what does that mean? And, you know, there's there's a very large part of what we do uh, that negates uh, culture from a financial and from a legal perspective. It really is hard and fast. And you know, the, the one area that, that I think suffers is most people when they go into a transaction don't always answer the question, why am I doing this? And you know, you'll talk to people that'll say, well, I'm doing this because I need people. They have great people, they have great systems. You know, 
Alita, if we follow that logic and we don't take into account what that means to integrate people, what, what's the likelihood of success? When you really focus on your traditional, let's say, checklist where it's mainly admin and compliance, like we said earlier, and don't focus enough on people, um, let's say through surveys or culture assessments and stuff, what tends to happen is um, we, we often see these types of transactions um, fail because you end up with culture clashes um, that lead to turnover, sick leaves, uh, decrease in productivity, and sometimes even loss of uh, identity. So what you thought was going to be a, a good relationship or a good uh, co you know, combination or that um, you you will end up complementing each other ends up being um, that the relationship well there's two different cultures different values we've mentioned that a lot uh, too earlier and that um, you realize that overall you're just not aligned you know it's, it's funny in the past you've given me the example where you know if, if, if you were doing a due diligence you were buying machinery you would be remiss to not test the machi machinery and see how that machine machinery fits into the assembly line um, most of the time we forget to do that with our people. And, and I think that that's where, you know, the value of, of the work that, uh, the work that you're doing and the focus on culture comes in, comes into play. Um, you know, there, there is a big gap, I think, between the time, uh, that are the concerns between management and employees uh, during and after a transaction and how quickly they buy into, to things. I mean, you're talking about emotional side of things. What are some of the things and, and, and the time lag, if you will, in, in terms of adoption? Um, you'll, there's different adoption stages and some personalities will um, adapt uh, quicker than, uh, than others. Um, so in any type of change, you'll have the ones that will jump on board because they're uh, right away because uh, that's their type of personality. They're agile, they're able to adapt in uncertainty, um, you know, and others that uh, no, they need to be prepped, they need to be, um, you know, they need more information, they need, they have more questions and need to be uh, more prepared than, than others. But it's just, uh, you know, I always, when I talk about adoption stages, I, stages, I, I talk about, uh, it's also applied on, on the consumer side of things. You'll have the ones that uh, are already there. They're waiting for iPhone 15 or, you know, that model, the next model, because they're there. They've already mastered um, the, the product and want more, whereas other people are, need more time to, to adapt. Part of the due diligence exercise, I mean, obviously there are various stages and various depths with which you can do the due diligence work. But, you know, if you really get the opportunity to dig uh, what you just discussed are some of the things that you find. You will come across the people that are, you know, quicker to adopt and those that uh, don't like change. And, you know, part of the goal, I think, is is for you to either, you know, advise uh, the financial people or the due diligence team and say, hey, guys, here's where your weakness lies in terms of your staff. And it's nice to say you're going in to buy staff, but you're going to lose half of them because you haven't handled a proper structure and a proper integration side of things. Correct. Alita Eid, HR Manager at FL. Thanks so much, Alita. Thank you. And now we turn to Sam Yunus of Altium Wealth Architecture. And Sam, we ask you for, please, your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur. Listen, I think that for any business, having a greatest sense of purpose is key. Uh, you know, dollars are important, but it needs to be 
it needs to go beyond dollars. So, you know, why the why before the how? Why are we doing what we do? I believe that being effective is making sure that every single act being done in a business contributes positively to that purpose. Uh, make sure that you're efficient. Always try to spend the least amount of energy possible to achieve the same great result. Focus on people, your team, your ecosystem, your network. Uh, treat them well, be there for them, uh, and be focused. Stay focused. Don't try to be everything to everybody. Uh, and, and have fun. It's, uh, it's quite a ride. It's a fantastic experience, uh, but uh, you need grit uh, and you have to show up every single day. A little bit like a plug for a Simon Sinek book. There, put the you know the the, the why before everything, and and I and yeah. I do think I do think that ultimately at the end of the day, the the culture and the environment of of what you're building, and you know, Dan, just just to finish up, if you go back to where we started this season, I, you you see this common theme throughout our shows, which is culture and what is defining success, and we're starting to see a very different definition of success with a lot of our guests so far this year. Sam Yunus, thanks so much, and that'll do it for today's entrepreneur we are back in two weeks time uh, with josh miller mike he's back and we'll we'll see you then thanks a lot dan and yes you'll you'll have the big booming voice of mr miller back soon good night all Good talk.